Hello? Kevin? Kevin Dodge? <laughs> oh, that's me. It's Kevin, actually. This is this is the speech guy. <laughs> the speech guy. We, yeah. we, rec- oh. we recently got an email from you mm-hmm. look, wanting to introduce the show. We have a big list to get through. <laughs> so we apologize it took three years to get to you. Have you gotten your complimentary t-shirt yet? I got the t-shirt in the mail just last week. I appreciate it. The gift cards were a nice touch. That's great. Kyle, is, has your voice changed? My gosh, it sounds like you've aged a generation since we last chatted. Since we <laughs> ate last, since we last ate Sky Lunch there on the Current River, you and Ross have that in common. You're the only uh, two guys on this phone call who've been on the Current River with me. Oh my gosh! Wow, only two. We yeah no, I think uh, an entire generation is being raised up. Since uh, since that happened, actually, that's Crazy. exciting. <laughs> Matt, this is your guess. I don't want to hog the telephone here. No, you're you got anything no, to say? You're good. You're, yeah, no. Kyle and I chatted at least a little bit earlier, but <laughs> but yeah. So Kyle is a an he's also an established businessman. He owns a PT clinic called Physical. I'll uh, I'll let uh, Kyle introduce himself more if he wants to. If he wants to, yeah, Kyle. How that. do you how do you know the speech guys? Yeah, so um, I went to college, or I went to PT school with a number of them. Um, Ross um, and Matt were in the year ahead of me in PT school at Bradley. Um, and then I met Mike over at Bradley as well when he was a, a campus minister there after he graduated from UI. That's right. Yeah, um, Transit yeah so we, all, we all go back a little way. That's, that's, that's right. That was your gap year. Yeah, we got, to know, we got to know him pretty well. It's funny, um, your names came up the other day. We, we were having dinner with oh. um Stacy Higgs brother. Um, yeah, what the heck's his name? Uh Mike. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, uh, no, bike bike for babies with us for like half a day once. You don't really? remember other mics that well. Kevin, what do you know about the speech guys? <laughs> I mean like the po- <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. Um I've heard it I've heard uh a few episodes I listened to a while back. You guys, from what I understand, that you um, listen to um, a, a real and or fictitious speeches um, from the past, and then comment and then provide your own commentary on it. Yeah, yeah, right? something something to that effect is about right. Speeches and, from the future is season four. That's a little teaser right there. Yeah, speeches from AI from Mr. Yeah, AI. it's right. AI is going to tell us yeah. what speeches are going to come. Going to subcontract that stuff. Um, you have any other questions, thoughts, maybe like a favorite Christmas memory of yours growing up, memories of this movie, the speech in particular you want to share? Oh, what a, what a movie. Yeah, this was, um, this was the Christmas movie growing up. We we watched it every year. I remember there's one time at the, at the Newman Center, we sat down, um, just before everybody left for Christmas break and we had a, a whole bunch of people in you know, that big TV room, and we all watched Oh, yeah. It. I think it's uh, oh, yeah. one movie I think I could cry to. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Now, it's okay. been a number... I was talking to Matt. It's been a number of years since I've seen it. Which, um, which speech... Are you, there, there are two two main speeches that come to mind. You you tell me... What, which, which one of you guys are going to be listening to today? Yeah, this is the speech that um, Jimmy Stewart's character, George, gives to um, the Henry Potter's characters uh, after his father has just died. And they're about okay, so to they're, lose they're in the, the boardroom. Room. 
Yeah, order. <laughs> yeah, they're, yep, exactly. they're deciding the the future. Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yep. Yeah. Which which one would you have done? I mean, we can kind of do both, but you have another memorable part that's uh, well, more you know, sticks the out. Other one, this movie just came up. Um, I don't know if you guys listened to uh, Joe Rogan. Sometimes. He was just last week. He was talking about the the speech that Jimmy Stewart's character had on a fractional fractional banking lending. Hmm. You know, just kind of describing like what what's going on when they have the run on the bank of saying, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you deposit yeah. X mm-hmm. amount of money, but it's in it's in John's house and it's in Larry's." Right. Yeah. You know? That's everything you need to know about banking, right there. That's about <laughs> where my knowledge begins and ends. <laughs> <laughs> as good as an economics degree. It's great. Really quick, Kyle, would you have guessed all those years ago you'd be on a podcast with us right now? <laughs> Not in my wildest dreams. You you never know what's going to put in your past. This is well, uh, you're, this is you're, honor the fiftieth episode, season three finale. <laughs> what what an honor, you know? Yeah. You, you think right. getting married, having kids, you think that you think you have accomplishments in life, and then and then you throw something mm-hmm. like this in your plate. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's a wonderful it's life, truly. It's a, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Well, well made. If only George Bailey hit a podcast, there'd be no movie because he's like, my life is great. <laughs> 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 Don't need no angel. <laughs> Kyle, it's all it's all on you now. We're gonna hand off the show hosting reins. You're gonna introduce us, put your own little spin on it, put your own uh, Jimmy Stewart twang on it, like Matt had suggested. Go for it. Well, it is it is my honor to introduce the fiftieth the fiftieth episode of the Speech Guys um, with a holiday special, um, giving the George famous George Bailey speech um, from from Rich a Wonderful Life. Nice. Was that good? <laughs> that was, that was is, good. That, is that what you're looking no, for? No, it wasn't. I, I, I got and, um, and who's on the show? <laughs> and who's on the show? Well, tonight we have uh, Mike Schaefer, uh, the famous Ross Johnson. We have uh, Matthew Schultz, and we have, I believe, is Elaine. It's Jay. The toughie. The tough last one. <laughs> Jay? That's close. Okay. <laughs> Landon Fry. Landon Fry. Landon Fry. Okay. Well, uh, the, the, the famous four. <laughs> sure. Sure. That will be our spinoff podcast. <laughs> we'll, be co- we'll be podcasting on our best podcasts. Landon Free is his name. He's our fourth member. Kyle slash Kevin Dodge was the introducer. It's been great. Hey, let's Which one is music. it, Kyle or Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> it's Kyle. I thought we were projecting my Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all are all here. It's free, free. I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want a podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. Like, if you don't climb your wall. We 
are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement. Welcome. Thanks, uh, thanks, Kyle, for that. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Stand down, Matt. <laughs> well, that was a great intro by... I thought it was the season of giving, Mike. I thought you were giving the... Uh, the, nope. the okay, guess not. All right. This is a modern Christmas, Kyle <laughs> slash Matt. Okay, just had a great intro there by Kyle slash Kevin Dodge, but hey, you know what? This is the season of giving. I'm going to let Matt introduce the rest of the introduction. Introduce. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Mike, for that intro to the intro to the intro. Uh, so this is the, as Kyle said, the 50th episode of The Speech Guys. And just timing-wise, kind of the end of a quad, not enough time for another quad by the new year, so I am um, <laughs> seems like a Matt. good time. Uh, yes. Hmm? What? You, you... <laughs> the connection got lost, but I was, it was a good, fluid yeah. thing, and we're back on now, so... Okay, well, trust yeah. it was good. And Audacity <laughs> picked it up, so there we go. Uh, end of... A quad, not enough time for a new quad, so we'll just have a one-off holiday special-themed episode. Um, I think especially, just kids are getting older. I mean, old, yeah, I mean, oldest one's two, so not old, old, but uh, old enough to, like, all right, like, Christmas is becoming more of a thing, right? He can open gifts now. You know, he couldn't last year. Um, and... I feel like our family Christmas traditions are taking shape, like how our family's Christmas wants to go and yeah, just what a good Christmas should look like and like how to make that happen. So um, that's kind of why I wanted to talk with the speech guys, kind of get some tips and tricks on that and just have a good, good chat about it. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is a classic Christmas movie and, and Landon kind of picked the precise speech from it. Uh, so I'll let him kind of go, uh, go into why he selected that. Yeah, when we're doing holiday, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite. It is my second favorite movie ever, right behind Hoosiers. Probably, I don't cry in Hoosiers, but we'll, we'll admit, given Kyle um, let us down the opening of our sentimental side, definitely do usually shed a few tears with It's a Wonderful Life. You know, not every time, um, but certainly... I watch it every year, probably have for 10 or 15 years. Didn't watch it a lot growing up. Um, I think it's, uh, there are a few speeches we'll, we'll, we're going to dive into one on argument, his monologue against the, the, the Mr. Potter character. Um, there was a quote somebody shared, um, I think, that, that said it was like it's a terrifying asphyxiating story about growing up you know relinquish your dreams having to uh settle in some areas and kind of just take responsibility for your family and community and still just seeing him break down at the end is just um kind of gut-wrenching um and i don't know there's something captivating 
real, maybe fearful about that, that I think has made the drama last the generations. I think the sentimentality of just like the small business, the family business, um, I can relate to. Uh, certainly, I think a lot of farm families can relate to a lot of those opening scenes of, you know, which son stays, which one goes, how are we going to pass this thing along? Should we pass it along? Why, you know, why does it exist um, in a big or corporatized, capitalized world, etc.? I think a lot of a lot of themes that have lasted. That is why I chose it. Well, why don't we uh, take a listen to that speech before we get uh, too lost in the weeds here, or snow maybe? You're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was why in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me, but he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Right. Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I, you're, the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. You, what'd you say a minute ago? They had to wait and save their money before they even bought a decent home. Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Yeah. So I mean, in my house, I think that uh, it's a wonderful life. Sort of occupied a pretty traditional, standard space. You know, pretty much a standard watch every year. I don't necessarily remember having super duper strong feelings about it but i definitely always enjoyed it um particularly the jimmy stewart character and actor just in general yeah for sure um first reactions to this particular speech within the context of it I did, it some years ago, realize that Henry Potter, I mean, that's pretty much Harry Potter, so that was an ironic little spin that came later, <laughs> decades. Um, I, I think maybe, the, okay, the most, the most striking thing, I mean, it did always sort of come off a little bit simple or facile of a speech but you know in maybe some of this i'd heard before but it was sort of like freshened up or re-realized is that 
actually, even when this film came out, as I understand it, it was sort of perceived that way as then, oh, George Bailey's simple-minded, naive, blah, blah, blah. Which I think gives it gives those themes and George Bailey's earnestness a little bit more. Um, there's it's it's more attractive. It's more it feels more genuine that it was perceived that way then uh, as well. Um, so yep, that's my first reactions. Yeah, so It's a Wonderful Life, I think probably it sounds like like everybody was definitely watched every year in the Johnson household. Um, just kind of a normal holiday. Yeah, not like a huge, like we all sit down at this, like to have to watch it, but it definitely, I mean, remember watching it most years. Um, I definitely feel like, I remember watching it once in Room 7 at Neighbor House. Landon, I bet you were probably there. And I feel like I like appreciated it in a new way. Because I don't think I necessarily remembered some of the humor in it and how it's actually just funny and enjoyable to watch as an adult. Um, it's actually, Julie and I usually try to, so like each each season or seasonal change, we try to kind of like think through or make a list of, okay, what are the things we want to do to kind of really embrace, you know, this current season that we're in. Um, so, you know, you know, fall, make sure we, you know, get make to have the kids outside by a bonfire and just marshmallows, like kind of just picking things that are kind of stereotypical. And yeah, so it's a wonderful life is definitely on the list um, to be watched between now and Christmas. Um, I think also too, I, I appreciated it a little bit, kind of like Landon said a little bit with the, the farmer thing. I feel like I always saw my dad a little bit in George Bailey. Um, so yeah. he, oh, for sure. so like my grandfather owned the, um, grocery store in a small town and then my dad had a younger brother so and then dad was the one that ended up um, taking over and running the stores um, and just did a lot for the a small community for multiple multiple generations and for a lot of years so I feel like I always saw a little bit of dad um, in George yeah so I think my comment just about this how maybe simple or almost naive it, it seems. Um, I think in some ways I appreciate that even more now uh, to not get too much into all of our talking from the recent camping trip. Just having to live in the adult world and deal with businesses and money and just all of those things, I think they're just more of an appreciation for just the, what George was trying to do, I guess. So, Yeah, and... Um funny Landon you mentioned the Hoosiers uh Hoosiers is like your number one movie of all time because I remember I didn't so I didn't see that movie until I was probably like 29 or so you know 28 29 or whatever um I everyone's eyes just got huge (laughs) but I remember when I watched it you're breaking up you're breaking up (laughs) but I remember when I watched it the like the first thought I had was like, "Oh, this is like a cheesy movie," but, but I think the because re- the reason it's cheesy isn't because it's cheesy; it's cheesy because it's the movie that all other movies base themselves off of. You know, it's this kind of like, yeah, I feel like that is the the quintessential sports movie, and like every movie wants a piece of it. 
So every movie has a piece of it and it becomes whatever. So I, I think it's easier to interpret it that way. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, so I feel like it's a similar analogy with this. Cause I think the first time I saw it, um, I was probably a teenager and just, you know, heartless and stupid. Um, and I just remember kind of thinking like, oh, that's whatever, a nice cheesy Christmas movie. Um, I've probably seen it three or four times. And I, it is one of those movies where every time I see it, I mem- I, I always think like, oh, this is better than the last time. Um, which admittedly I haven't watched it in a couple of years, but, um, but yeah, so I'm, but Claire and I have definitely put it high on the, uh, on the list as Ross mentioned. Uh, yeah, it's like a, yeah, we want to make that a thing this year for sure. Um, but, and it was regards to the speech. Um, I could see what you guys mean with like, sure. You know, it, it's kind of sentimental in how he makes his argument, but I think there are a lot more nuanced ways to argument argue his point without being kind of strictly sentimental, which is kind of, you know, his approach there. Um, and that's kind of what I, I think is worthwhile talking about both in regard to like just economics, but also with Christmas in general, I feel like there's a lot, yeah, a lot there that can inform us, uh, in terms of celebrating Christmas. Well, so, yeah, I kind of wonder if thinking about the, speech we just quoted, the one he gave to Potter. You guys said that was cheesy. A reviewer called it a courier and Ives veil to the whole movie. Um, Even at, I don't know if that was at the time it came out. Um, I wonder if people did speak that plainly, plainly and directly, or if it is just like, way over the top and too emotional i get what you're saying i think that the most natural like metaphor to say yes and no to that would be and i i've posed this question to my mom before because we watch movies like this back in the day and yeah this yes yeah, it seems like what was everyone just in a good mood back then? It's like, oh hey, Charlie, hey, what's going <laughs> on you? Oh, how many kids? Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> like, and I'm thinking, okay, so if people watch a movie today in the future, <laughs> is everyone where depressed? The, exactly. <laughs> like everyone's suicidal. <laughs> And so I think that, you know, any sort of film is basically exaggerating everything. So it's like, yeah, people are, I think, legitimately have a mopier disposition now than they did then. But people also don't always look quite as mopey now as they do in movies. It's a good point. Yeah, great metaphor. I think this sort of feels like a natural discussion question sort of lead things off with that Ross had posed, Um, right? I mean, George Bailey is basically, through all of his decisions, you know, prioritizing God, family, his community over material things, namely going off to college with that big old briefcase and um you know going off on the honeymoon with mary and other things 
And Ross had posed like, yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people love this movie because they see that as like that's the natural, attractive set of priorities, right? But why do so many, just put it simply in his words, why do we get pulled away from it? Why do we tend to make decisions that do not seem to prioritize those things? And this can also give us an opportunity to give more of the nuanced, nuanced layers that Captain Matt is looking for. So most people or us, if in George's shoes, would have gone to college and gone on the trip and sure yeah another sort of like interesting uh, illustration to sort of sharpen this question you know and i marked this down the notes but when i was running uh last sunday you know obviously a lot of people have their christmas stuff up now and i'm thinking to myself wow you know there there are a lot of nativity scenes out which presumes to imply some sort of belief in Christ <laughs> and it just seems I don't know maybe if you ran the statistics it would match up but it just seems like there's way more plastic apparatuses of Jesus than there are people who are boldly doing things that actually matter for Jesus not saying it's bad to have plastic jesus in your yard or anything but i feel like there's more things that matter a lot more that people aren't doing okay so sum up sum up discussion questions people are attracted to george prioritizing god family community we like that it seems heroic but it seems like we're not doing that uh, quite so much anymore, despite giving it lip service. I mean, I think I think we give it lip service. I think there are actually a decent number of people who... <laughs> we're the speech who, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a decent number of people who would actually advocate against that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like... God, obvious. Like I think that's that's an easy one for people to kind of dismiss. Family, I, I, I even that I feel like is a, uh, I don't know. I, I think that like there seems to be a, a growing trend of like, um, I don't know. People still value their families, but there seems to be a growing trend of like that just being kind of disjointed. And I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm older and people grumble about it more. Um, but yeah, I guess there just seems to be like a growing dissatisfaction and maybe de-emphasis on that, at least among younger folks. Um, <clears throat> and then community. Um, yeah, I guess even that, like everything just become has, seems to become more nationalized and more um, bigger scale, like, you know, Amazon, Walmart, that sort of stuff. Branded. Um, bra- yeah, branded. branded. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I mean, even in terms of like, political types of things like how many how many people could name their city council representative Mm. you know Mm. like yeah there's and how many people are part of an actual club that meets in person more than once a you know more than once a month you know um yeah I, i mean just stuff like that just everyone seems to be rather disengaged 
with all of those things, um, whether they're explicitly preached against or not, like maybe not, I don't know, but, um, but there does seem to be like a pretty general cultural shift away from like all throughout three of those things that we mentioned. But in terms of why, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that question is different for every person. I mean, why do I not do it? Um, honestly, like I fall prey to like just the worship of convenience, you know? Um, I think that is like a really hard thing to, uh, steer clear of. I think especially as a parent, you give yourself a lot of leeway to be like, Oh, well I'm doing all, you know, like kids take so much time and effort and all these things. So it's like, well, why not just buy all my stuff on Amazon? Because I can do that while the kids are asleep and it takes, you know, 15 minutes instead of two hours of driving between, you know, local stores that sell stuff for more expensive, more, you know, higher prices. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of, I feel like there's more and more excuses now than ever to do that simply because of, yeah, technology, convenience and that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, like I, I did buy some Christmas gifts on Amazon, like literally yesterday. And I remember like going to sleep and asking Claire, like, am I a sissy for, <laughs> you know, for, uh, am I a sellout, you know, uh, for doing that sort of thing? Cause Claire and I've had talks like this in the past and. I think something that really strikes the at the core of It's a Wonderful Life is just how he is constantly sacrificing himself, I guess, or he's making these selfless choices. So I mean, like, it actually, I mean, it's it, like it's the actual the the flow of the movie, right? He doesn't get to go to college. He doesn't get to go on his honey. I mean, it's it's literally the movie. So, um, and I feel like people definitely our age. I don't know about the older, I don't know how much older than us or when this kind of phenomenon started, but I feel like we really had preached to us individualism, kind of, you know, you do what you want to do, you do what makes you happy, dream big, like there was this constant emphasis on the self I feel when we were going through school, uh, and I definitely think that it's still that way today, and yeah, just trying to think about kind of the career path type questions and it just seems like they were all be whatever you want to be i mean just all those type of not, not that we have to like bring up cheesy phrases but i that just that just seemed to be the overall point and i feel like that those are con those are conflicting things a lot of times in real life you know you can't if you sometimes it seems like you're called to not do what you want to do or to at the in the moment and Maybe the comfort thing is a little bit, and we could talk comfort, like Matt had said, or I'm sorry, convenience, but I think comfort is another one. We're just constantly looking inwards and looking at ourselves. And so I think that it's, it would be hard for someone that was brought up in all of that to understand or to make the same decisions that George did. It seems like everybody would just not even, like they would have just gone to school in the first place. They wouldn't have even let alone, you know, given up the honeymoon and all the way down the line. So I feel like the movie, I think, does a good job at maybe not intentional. I don't know how intentional it was. I mean, the overall point is intentional, but I think the movie does a good job at combating an individualistic mindset and shows that that will not lead you ultimately to happiness and fulfillment and all these things. It's the giving of yourself and all these, you know, love and sacrifice and these type of things that George kind of was forced to do that ultimately right end up in a wonderful life 
So kind of the why, it seems like, I don't know, I feel like, and I don't want to get too like, oh, that single thing is the why, but that jumps out to me as something that would make it hard for people to. Such a big and deep question. I don't think there's just such a pull of the economy of material gain, of succeeding, of, um, I don't know, making it in America. I think it is, it, it's a Western value, perhaps more exasperated by being an American value to go do, achieve, grow, progress. Um, at, you know, a sacrificial cost of community, faith, responsibility, family. Um, and yeah, you've got to be mindful to draw lines in the sand of like where where too much is yeah, enough um, I think looking at all of the scenes though we're giving him a lot of credit I think he was a reluctant sacrificer like he never overly chose to do the thing to stay to commit I mean he was you know, dragged into it. Even the highly, uh, the scene with Mary when they kind of do get together in her parlor. Um, like, man, he was just awkward. Like, he didn't want to be there if um, his mom pushed him there. I mean, he was just, I don't know if that was, there's probably some weird romantic dynamics there, but um, reluctant anyway. And so I just, what I'm trying to think through or understand is, was that, I don't know, his fate or destiny, or was he not leaning into his calling and it, it still worked out for him? I'm not sure. Um, I think <clears throat> to answer... Uh to contribute to my my question. I think that there is a lot of different reasons. They're going to matter more to different people. But something similar to what Matt said sticks out to me and some illustrations that seem particularly resonant that, yeah, things like religion and family and community are so, they are so messy. Even the best iterations of them are so messy and thinking like in terms of <clears throat> thinking in terms of like parish life you know when you're when you're a a flashy flashy catholic from your favorite newman center you know it's like <laughs> you have a very distorted perception of what of what parish life would look like and there's definitely a little bit of um arrogance particularly towards speaking from my own experience and also just what i've heard uh friends say arrogance towards the pastor of like oh man they need to be preaching this or that or doing this or that or why are people lukewarm and blah blah i mean there's certainly certainly a space to certainly push push your uh your parish for sure but 
there is also just showing up for the fish fry and being that random guy to ask where the box of breading is and you know helping move the uh christmas tree displays out for christmas stuff doing this with all like new and different people and with the bossy people who have been doing it for 25 years and don't believe in using the word brothers in the gospel reading and goofy (laughs) stuff like that right like that's and i i think yeah that that's but that's exactly the kind of messy parish life and church life that we're called to participate in. That's sort of from an interesting perspective because that's like from the people who are sort of in it. But still, that's sort of like what what it is. And, you know, even from the standpoint of like community, family, I, I people tend to have more natural experiences with. But like growing up, you know, we were in 4-H, right? And... Man, it was meetings once a month on a Saturday and then showing animals in every summer uh, in the heat and chickens and model rockets and stuff like that, right? And then contributing community. And there were fun things, but I would have probably tried to get out of it if I could so I could have played more basketball. (laughs) But in retrospect, I really appreciate it, and I'm glad I did it because... I look back and see as yeah, it was a sort of messy participation community. Not like to the fault of anyone by any means. Certainly could have been a lot messier. But it's just, that's what community life looks like. It's just showing up on a Saturday morning at St. Joe's Parish Center at 7 a.m. And listening to old business, new business, attendance, and eating duplex cookies after. (laughs) that's it that's that's what community life is like and it's certainly much preferable for a lot of us to just um do other things on saturday morning i don't know i imagine there was probably some friendliness that happened you know either amongst you or siblings or even your parents between their yeah uh yeah there was Oh, yeah, certainly lots of friendly... Oh, and there were... Yeah, there was friendliness. There were friends... Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think there's still a friendship there, even if it's not your closest... You know, whatever, but... Or when you particularly Well, yeah, it's enjoy. like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I guess, yeah, yeah. like, friendship, community, and and I at least with the speech, like, this business all go together, you know, for, for George Bailey. And like, he doesn't say it in this sort of like philosophical sense, but like, um, but that does seem to be like a natural flow of things. Like, like maybe even in that order, I don't know. I haven't thought that hard about the order, but like, but you, you make friends with someone, even if you don't like them that much, (laughs) you know, like you're just like, you're friendly with your neighbor, you know, you're friendly with, some people down the street, even if they're not your favorite, like, but you don't pick who you live next to entirely. You know what I mean? Like, you know, some, someone else is going to move in and you know, who knows? Um, but, uh, but yeah, like we, you still, and I, but I care about my neighbors. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I love my neighbor, Mitch. I don't, I doubt he would ever listen. There are some things I'm like, wow, he's kind of, <laughs> kind of a wild guy (laughs) like i don't know if i like all this but like he is the like i cannot like i would 
I love having him as a neighbor, you know, um, not just cause he let me borrow his weed whacker my entire first summer. Uh, <laughs> he lived there, but just like, yeah, we don't spend a ton of time together. He's not a close friend. He's not a guy I would ask advice on a serious thing with, but he's still just like someone I care about cause he's there. And if he were, if I did own my own business and he were to come in, I would take care. I would take care of him. You know what I mean? His friendship and the community that that builds. And then like all of these business interactions, like they all build this, this community. Maybe it's friendship, business, then community. I don't know, whatever order it, it happens in. Um, yeah, I, I just, there's this like beautiful connection there that George Bailey has. And George Bailey values. And even then, this is what, 1934? Um, like, I don't know if it's a modern problem, but there are these, uh, yeah, things that drive that apart, you know? I don't know. I mean, I know, I know Ross, you and, well, yeah, Ross, you and Landon both have, you know, kind of family business types of experiences. And I don't know. I think that hearing some of those stories might be interesting to kind of hear what goes into that and how. Yeah, I feel like that was pretty much my whole just childhood. So just I feel so again, my parents ran a grocery store. My grandpa ran it before them. So they were the second generation to do it in a small town of about 900 people. So I met my dad would tell stories just I mean, and this is and maybe and again, I don't like I kind of agree with Matt. I don't think it's a modern problem, but there's something seems to have also changed over time, at least in this small niche. Um of society in the sense like he would just tell stories about I don't know so just the funny ones that pop to mind I mean like when he started working like I don't think people would always pay I think they'd like write stuff down and they could come do it later or uh at one point there was an ice storm like I mean we were out of power you guys probably remember it it was like 07 I think it was like nine days so dad would open the stores up and people would just take flashlights around and they would write down on a piece of paper what the number was, and they'd bring it up front, and they would just, like, plug it on a calculator. But he would, like, the store was always open so people could get food. Um, but kind of like Matt said, I mean, I think there was people, because, again, you know, small towns, like, Dad was also on the fire department. So, like, you know, he, like, I don't remember the guy's name, but somebody that maybe was drinking the night before, drank way too much, was there at 6 a.m. fixing a generator for Dad so they could get the stuff. I mean, it was just stuff like that, I feel like, was... Um, just very commonplace. Uh, so to get stick with the Christmas theme, because I still like this story, and I'm sad we can't do it anymore. Christmas Eve, the store is always open, so they, we would always have drinks in the back. So Grandpa would be drinking Crown Royal and 7-Up and whatever. And again, this is from a guy that would literally smoke cigars and just you'd find them. Apparently people would just find them on shelves, places, because he would forget about them. But, so people in town would just stop by. And they would just walk to the back room and have a drink with Bob. And, yeah, and if it ran out, he would just go get another bottle from those from the shelves. So there was just a lot of, like, that type of stuff that could happen. It was easier being, like, a smaller town, but I feel like you guess you could have that in a big city, too, because you're going to have neighborhoods and uh, things of that sort. So I don't think that it necessarily has to be unique to a small town. But, so I th for us, at least, it was kind of synonymous with where I grew up and having the stores. It was just kind of one and the same I think then to kind of branch out from that a little bit and maybe get into some of your other questions too, I think that it's an interesting kind of question is 
and I don't know, I haven't thought about it to articulate well, but I guess why does the business exist? And I think that when you step back, I think the answer maybe should be for the common good. So, you know, we have this business, yes, to make money and supply our needs, but there's kind of an end to it, if that makes sense. So it seems like for, you know, in my example, maybe provide food for the community or in George's, you know, example, so they can have a couple of, what is it, decent rooms and a bath or whatever, uh, versus I feel like in a lot of businesses, it seems like it's strictly to make money and to make as much of it as you can. And I think that that's just kind of a, maybe of a divergent idea yeah. that, yeah, they're just kind of incompatible. Yeah. It's the Potter versus the Bailey, I guess. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that yeah. that's not a modern problem. Uh, so I think that, you know, we can tell these stories about the good, but yeah, there's probably just as many about the other side of it, but. I don't know at what point you, you know, you said, oh, it might be in big cities too. I mean, the bigger the city, like the more anonymous you become. You know, I grew up in a town of, um, the bigger town was 2,800, 3,600. And like when you went into the grocery store, like, you know, everyone in the grocery store, like almost everyone, or like, you know, of them. Um, And like in a bigger city, like you're always, you're not going to like, you might see somebody here and here and there. Um, But just the social fabric of, um, you know, you kind of know everybody's business or see them around. I think that that uh, plays a part in what is what is community, um, especially across like so many different, probably like economic statuses. Whether it is like the worker at the grocery store or the Johnsons own the grocery store or like there's the doctor in town, the judge, like, um, there's a little bit more of a vertical cut. Um, and then, you know, the larger the city, everybody's kind of segmented by class for any particular activity that they do. Um, and you don't, you have to really work hard to, um, get across that. On, on the economy thing, I think what what you see with like the Bailey Brothers building and loan, I mean, it was a small business. They operated like almost on a barter system in some ways and just basically ran like zero margin. And you probably had a much larger percentage of the economy with without a pure profit motive. It was just like a lifestyle business. This is who we are. This is what we do. Um yeah, like we make a living um, and then it goes back into the business or we share it and most everyone was operating that way. Um, and then as, yeah, as things have been rolled up, consolidated, um, put onto the public market where certainly our retirement accounts benefit from the p- profit motive, um, at the local level, wherever you may buy that good or service, um, there is is more of an incentive for you know how it's going to play in the market versus what what really matters. Summarize what you just said in two sentences. Just noticing George's interactions with his business and the economy of Bedford Falls made me realize that. If a community 
is more small business than not. There's there's less of a profit motive and quite a bit more sharing. And, and I think the opposite end of that is, you know, clicking on Amazon, getting things overnight. It's, and it's much easier, but it's much more professionalized and, and not localized. And there's something lost there for. And I, and I think it's inhuman. I think that's like not to be too harsh on, on that dynamic, but, um, but yeah, you don't go to the grocery store and, and realize Bob's having a drink in the back and, you know, and then you get to know him like, gosh, that just like that story, Ross, like I, that man, that warms my heart. I love hearing that. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the road rage thing, you know, when like everyone's like angry and, and mean because there's a windshield between people. You know, but if you were, uh, if you were yeah. walking on the street and you guys almost, and people almost run into each other, of course, obviously it's not as, as deadly of an incident or dangerous of an, but like, like there's never going to be that much anger. Um, but yeah. cause you know, but the anonymous windshield is like, oh, you know, that guy's a, but <clears throat> I'll have to bleep that one out. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, watch your mouth. I don't. It's only damn in hell. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, and and I think and I think we do end up paying for it as much as like yeah, it's way cheaper, way more convenient. You know, the time I spent, I would have spent in the store that I didn't spend because I went on Amazon. Great, now I can make money or whatever. But I think we do end up paying for it in that. I, don't, I feel like there's insurance for everything trip insurance you know like you're always trying to to spend money to protect your things that seems to be almost more costly than it is to just like buy at a store where you know someone cares about you and you know if they screw you over then you'll know like you're you're, you know you're you know who that is (laughs) you know what i mean like bob's not going to screw you over one because he's a great guy but also because you know him you know what i mean and you're going to be fixing his car next week and um there's this yeah it, it and it's not even just like a retribution thing. It's a cohesion and common good thing um, that, that you end up like, sure, you might pay more for groceries, but what you get along with it is, is like immensely more valuable. I was driving home this evening um, from something and I've got this thing called climber's elbow. So it was saying I need, I should have like some dumbbells and, just kind of curl my wrist essentially but i was contemplating like oh, should i just order those dumbbells on amazon or should i go go to the little guy like walmart <laughs> 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 or some brick and mortar store to support someone who's semi more tethered to the community because you know Amazon is not the company that sponsors the local 5K. I'm sure they do it somewhere, right? But there's, <laughs> yeah. And and they you can play that analogy with other things, you know, with what, what Matt was ordering on Amazon. Like, should he have gone to the 50 different stores to get one screw and then get a different size screw? You know, yeah, you get it. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, we need to draw stark lines of, you know, and no one's trying to do this, but don't ever shop at Amazon or vice versa. But I'm thinking of a scene 
But I think there's a case for a certain commercial earnestness. And I'm thinking of a scene from The Emperor's Club with Kevin Klein, where, what was his name? Mr. El Zubi. He was walking across the, um, the grass of the quad on campus. And Kevin Klein's teach, uh, character, the teacher, says to Mr. El Zubi, uh, Mr. El Zubi, walk on the sidewalk, please. And Mr. El Zubi, the little kid, the kid, 14 boy, year old boy or something, he says, right, it's better for the grass. And then Kevin Klein says, no, it's better for you. And it gets to the point, it's like, it's not a sin to walk across grass. In the same way, it's not a sin to go shop at Amazon, necessarily. But it's better for you to go and buy that missized screw at Ace Hardware. I cannot. When it is possible. Yeah. That is such a deep reference, and... Also a top five movie of mine. I literally watched it two weeks ago. What movie is this? The Emperor's Club. The Emperor's Club. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's hard to find. I cannot believe you just quoted that. Mr. Hundert. <clears throat> it has the same aesthetics as um, the Dead Poet Society, mm-hmm. but a more optimistic feel. But Rust, yeah. T- so like, I guess maybe the, the finest fine point is people care about you if people near you care. So why don't we why don't we engage with them? You know, we right. see the purpose. So I was just trying to so. kind of okay, let's get I mean not that these clouds are bad clouds, but like, you know, get out of the level of ideas and like Yeah. So right, everybody would love Woo! Right. Every, <laughs> is this water? water? I think this is water. Right. Everybody would love to know the mechanic in town and go fishing with the pastor and go have a drink with Bob in the back room. Um, which is one of my favorite memories, no joke. Just bought my Crown Royal today because I drink Crown and Sevens from this point until Christmas only. Um, but, so what are some things, I feel like we like we all kind of appreciate this, and I feel like most people would at least recognize, yeah, there's a lot of good in that. But if, I mean, we're obviously not doing it perfectly, so what are you think some things, and this is like an honest question, so not like, don't like point to me and challenge me personally here, but sort of like, what are some things you think I, we could do better to help foster, not like, I mean, maybe just going to Ace Hardware instead of Amazon, but like, other than that, are there things you think we could legitimately do to foster this kind of type of community where so nostalgic for? Well, obviously the challenge isn't coming up with examples because in fairness, we all do these. We all do choose to shop at Ace Hardware. Sometimes we do choose to make life difficult for ourselves. Sometimes, right, and do that. You know, could we do it more? Yeah, I mean, you probably could be. A number has popped in my head, like you know, the same way that we're called to tithe, right, ten percent to the church and charities. Like, what about tithing 10% of your expenses towards local. So, you know, you, sure. you buy with every need, but 10% is local business. That's an interesting way to manage that. A lot of the things we don't like are very consumer driven. And I think just to, to one degree, not being afraid to be the, the jerk in the office who like shines a light on some of that. I, I think there's, there's somewhat of like an evangelization mindset that might need to be done for that. 
type of thing, you know, and just keeping, yeah, and just at least discussing those types of topics. For example, like restaurants, I think are low hanging fruit for shopping local in that restaurants are about the same price wise in terms of local versus like your chain restaurants. Like it's not as big of a price difference as like getting local vegetables, which would be like double. So like I've just made that comment at work once. Yeah, maybe someone was offended, but who cares? Like, I think that's a valuable point to like just put out there. Um, it's like, all right, low hanging fruit restaurants. Like, let's just make sure to eat local restaurant, whatever. But, but even even beyond that, I think talking with your neighbors is a good thing, um, and just knowing, yeah, and just like I guess prioritizing your neighbors first, like the people who are actually closest to, you, like physically closest to you who you didn't choose. You know, there's some people close to you that you choose, your family, whatever, but... I've been shocked. So I live in a neighborhood, and, like, sometimes we try to play outside in the front yard with the kids just to kind of try to foster that type of mindset, but, like, nobody does that. Really? Huh. Oh, yeah. So my neighbor next door, he's a super nice guy. Um, So, like, my kids had a lemonade stand this summer, and he made sure he came over and, right, he's paid four bucks instead of 50 cents for to whatever um and like he mowed my leaves for me um he didn't have to do that but when i was gone deer hunting last weekend like my front yard got filled with leaves like he he chopped like he took care of that for me so i really appreciated that so i shouldn't say it's gone but like there's a house a couple doors down the other way like they got a bunch of kids and like you just never see them and maybe that's just my neighborhood but it does seem like there's not much like i said sometimes we'll we'll do that and it seems like people just drive down the street drive into their garage close the garage door behind them and you never you don't you just don't see them and it's just an interesting dynamic i guess we blamed covid when he moved in but i don't think we can blame covid anymore and yes landon they did open their garage doors <laughs> this is going to be a little more abstract but i think it leads to real action back in the clouds back baby. in the clouds a little bit just gonna dive in dive up and dive back down <laughs> But like, think of your life. Raising the roof. Think of your life as like a poem or a story, and like, how boring of a story is it if you're like, "Yep, I bought the most efficient groceries, and I didn't overspend on this, and uh, I definitely made smart decisions on, you know." I'm really glad I shopped at Amazon because, man, that extra eight dollars and twenty cents I saved, you know, like it's a boring story. No one likes it. Get out of here, you know. But George Bailey, everyone knows his story. And, like, I don't know. Maybe that's just a – yeah, I think – imagine that. Imagine your, your your life as a story or a poem or a whatever. All this adventure we long for, I, I think everyone longs for, um, can be had. It's just going to look different, you know, like a video game. It's going to look different than, you know, a, a, I don't know, a, a regular – I mean, I guess this is a movie, but <laughs> maybe your life looks like this, but not a, you know, not like an action movie or something. But I like the fact that you brought up the word adventure, because I think that that's something else that <clears throat> this mindset of he didn't get to do the what on the on a superficial level was the adventure right? he didn't get to go to the Fiji Islands and wherever else was on his suitcase. It's a similar thing, like Tolkien talked about it, or not talked about it, like J.R.R. Tolkien wrote the best adventure trilogy ever. But he lived in some boring little hamlet or something in England. 
so I think there's just kind of this idea that to live an adventurous life, you can't, you have to go off and do these great, huge things. And that's definitely what George thought, you know, at the beginning of his life. And I think a lot of people, that's why a lot of people, or the similar mindset, like people talk about having kids or having a family, they feel tied down, domestic life is boring, even though maybe it's the most adventurous, fulfilling life they could ever live. So this is a Christmas movie. It did not originally come out as a Christmas movie. It was just a movie. Oh. What yeah. time, What I guess what time of year did it come out? I don't know if I remember that. I don't know the time I, of year, but... I know it was a box office flop initially. But it wasn't but like... I believe it was July. July. Yeah. Oh, it came out in July, that, really? That's, that's where the term Christmas in July came from. Get out of here. You're making that no, up. That's not true. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> nope. It's been put in that box. Anyway, sorry. For all practical purposes, <laughs> it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> For sure now. <laughs> you know, but and a lot of Christmas movies seem to th- like focus on this theme of this sort of anti-materialist theme, right? So A Christmas Carol, kind of similar things with Scrooge and all that. Um um, so yeah, focus, you know, de-emphasizes materialism, emphasizes sharing, giving. How do we balance that with also, I mean, Christmas is a feast, right? So it's a feast day. We're supposed to go big in some way, shape or form. Yeah. How do we balance the George Bailey anti-materialism with also the festal festivities? I don't know if demands is too strong of a word, but requires maybe, I don't know. Or would we rather go with the how do we make for a truly rich Christmas season question? Is this our final bell? Or <laughs> I don't know. I guess we are pretty far along. I feel like we haven't had an, I feel like we haven't had enough Christmas. I feel sort of feel like Christmas then yeah. final bell. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Maybe let's let's do what makes for a truly rich Christmas. I think that might be a better it's a broader question, but maybe gives more latitude to uh to how, how to celebrate Christmas well. Well, I mean, I think that something I, you know, as I wrote notes, <clears throat> you know, Advent, it's sort of like how we're not supposed to eat meat on Fridays still, but no one really knows that. Or you're supposed to do something. You know, like Advent is also still supposed to be this time of, right, penance and, and fasting. Something, you know, doing something. Maybe not as hardcore as Lent. So last year is the first year they actually did that. I I gave up my uh, phone for anything non-functional, and I really appreciated that. And that obviously helped sharpen the sense of anticipation for Christmas, building up to, you know, the rejoicing, the feasting. Um, so I'll definitely do that again. I'm looking at places, a uh, couple of different places to to volunteer as well during Advent, but. Something that I've started doing with gifts for, like, godchildren, you know, when I give them money, just to help sort of sharpen their sense of gift being something to share, like giving them, um, you know, $25 or something, and here is... Five dollars for the bank and ten dollars for you and ten dollars to give to someone else right so they still get like the little dopamine kick of like getting a little cheddar cheese 
but also realizing like, oh man, it feels good, feels good to give too, and so help helps I think sort of sharpen that. So you, you one can do that obviously with Christmas gifts as well. To bounce off Mike, I would definitely agree. I think it takes some preparation for, like, kind of the, you can't to really appreciate something. There's got to be this sense of kind of longing and like not that you're working for it, but that there's a sense that you want it, right? So, you know, most people write Thanksgiving and then boom, Black Friday, Christmas. It's And it, it's just, it seems like kind of letting yourself build up to it, I think is going to be helpful to appreciate Christmas more. Um, I definitely know that was my experience doing Exodus 90 prior to Easter. And still, even though I'm not, I don't do Exodus 90 every year, there still is kind of a weird, not weird, like uh, I think an appropriate like longing for Easter. They got stuck in me from that. Uh, I so I think that there's a similar thing. Like you should want it, and there's something to ha- there's something to be said for I think having to wait for it. You know, celebrating Advent well can help in it, the richness of Christmas. I mean, we could talk about the. I don't want to say cheesy, but yeah, right. Jesus is the reason for the season. Like keeping in mind the right something actually happened on Christmas. It wasn't. It's not just Santa and gifts. I think helps that and like puts you in the right mindset for it. And then I guess my last, or I guess, yeah, so two things then. So we try to slow it down with the kids. So we don't let all of our Christmas get like, we don't do all of our decoration all at once. Saturday after Thanksgiving, we do our big, we go cut down the Christmas tree at the Christmas tree farm. We come home, we put a fire in the fireplace, eat some popcorn, watch the Polar Express, kind of make it this kind of start of the season in a very kind of nostalgic way with the fire and, you know, that type of thing. But, like, we didn't let it put the ornaments up yet. Um, and we don't have the stocking hun- We don't have the stockings hung. So I feel like we it, we have tried to kind of make it a... We kind of work up to it, if that makes sense, to kind of try to instill in them this kind of idea, like, it's not here yet. You can't, you can't go crazy yet. There's still more to come. And then celebrating after Christmas. So... Right. It's an interesting like the like joy to the world or these like Christmas songs like they're made for Christmas. So it's interesting that, you know, they play before Christmas and then on Christmas, they all just stop. It's like that makes literally no sense. And as I've started to do this more, like we've started as a family to do this, I feel like I've noticed more how fast people stop celebrating on the 26th. It's like a pet peeve of mine when like in the workplace, 26th, like boom. Christmas trees down. I mean, wipe that place clean, make it look as bleak as possible, and it's let's sad. get back to yeah. let's get back to Amazon <laughs> shopping and let's suffer. It's like let's just no, it, it's actually happened now. Like we should celebrate <laughs> afterwards a little bit. So I think that we we have tried to make a point of you know keeping the tree up for a while after Christmas. That's when we really blare the Christmas music. I'm the weird guy that doesn't take my lights down for a couple weeks afterwards. Just things like that, I feel like, to try to prepare for Christmas and then the celebration starts as opposed to celebrate hardcore and then it's done forever. All the way till Epiphany, right? Yeah, I do take my tree down a little soon, though, because the the city does do free Christmas tree pickup. <laughs> you monster! What, is, what are you doing with the Christmas tree? What am I supposed to do with that? Ross, question: Since you're, uh, if 
few kids ahead of all of us. How do you how do you think of uh, Santa leaning into Santa? Mm. Anybody not going to do Santa? We do Santa, and we don't make an emphasis on Santa. I guess I put it that way. Yeah, and I don't want to say that there's a right or wrong or get into that type of stuff, but um, yes, we do. We try hard to embrace Advent, and then we don't. We try not to make like a mega deal about Santa. It's like we don't go sit on Santa's lap at the department store. Or we do get the kids get a gift from Santa. I try. We try to talk about the actual Saint Nicholas, and I know some people kind of try to like fuse them together. In our home, we 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 intentionally separate them, just because. In you know, someday when the kids figure out that Santa's not real, I don't want them to. I don't want them to think Saint Nicholas also isn't real because of that. But um, I mean, I feel like you could say the same thing about any holiday, how the world celebrates Christmas, Halloween, other things. Like we don't absolutely say no to all of it, but I feel like try to maybe put it in its place a little bit i have a very very brief like forehead slapping anecdote that y'all will appreciate on the note (laughs) of santa and belief so when i was teaching i was talking to another dad this was actually on the way to the march for life we were on the bus talking and i don't remember how this came up but the dad was talking with his son about Santa Claus, and the son was apparently like starting to wonder, like, "Oh, is Santa real or not?" Which, <coughs> in my mind, if the son is, you know, if they're older than five, six, and they're having doubts, like, okay, just let him run with it. He doesn't exist. But okay, I think this kid was like eight or nine, though, which is a pretty good age to cut it off. So this kid's having doubts, and the dad says, well, you can't see Jesus, but you believe in him. And apparently the son was like, yeah, I guess you're right. So I guess Santa Claus must be real then. And I I like looked at the dad and was like, what? <laughs> no. Because it's exactly what Ross is saying, but like to an even bigger extent, <laughs> like to, real, to tether... Jesus is Santa, and that existential uh, and faith crisis, which is going to inevitably come up when he realizes Santa is not real. <laughs> and then when I like made the forehead slap towards the dad, he's like, "Wait, hey, hey, I'm not a theologist. <laughs> okay. but he's like, come, like, use your brain. Like, how do you think this string of logic is going to go?" And then, too, if your son is eight or nine, why are you putting any effort to convince him Santa is real? So, okay, I know, preaching to the choir here, but... (laughs) There's some simplistic, I don't know, it's not a real spiritual thing, but a way to believe in magic that uh, is enamoring for a child. It is. That I think has some Sounds like Landon's just going to strain it on for years. (laughs) It is hard. It's funny. It's hard to answer a question with that because you can't actually make a good answer. Like, it's not, doesn't make sense. So it's hard to make a good answer to it. So, like, the other day, like, I think Thomas has me like, how does he get down the chimney? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. Because he can't. <laughs> How does Jesus get I down the try chimney? To, yeah, I didn't want to try my tether my kids' entire faith belief to that. But just thinking about it, it's right. like, I mean, yeah. well, that's actually a pretty solid question because he can't. Because it wouldn't make any sense. So how do you answer that? 
You've seen the Santa Claus, how Santa, how Tim, how Allen, Tim Allen gets right. down just, various air ducts. <laughs> Sucked in. <laughs> Sucked in. <laughs> it's one of the only movies that uh, plays that does not have Santa in it. It's a Wonderful Life. Huh. And it's definitely a Christmas movie. Did everyone go? I feel like we did. I didn't even go, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, now let's do the real final bell. That wasn't. The, well, <laughs> it wasn't the final bell. Th- yeah, we're, we're still talking Christmas, Mike. <laughs> it's getting late. I gotta wake up at four. Oh, shoot. All right. I think we should well, string this out just to make him suffer, become more like George Bailey. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's it's part of your Advent sacrifices, Mike. But uh, I guess in addition to making, uh, like Ross, I love what you said, just about like, yeah, slowing things down, building anticipation and celebrating on the back end more than other people. And uh, well, yeah, just appropriately, because that's that. Yeah, that's when the season starts. I think just living. I mean, we talked about like a lot of the economic stuff kind of earlier, but I think that does play into like if you live in a way that is. Where you're, se- where you're practicing fasting and self-denial and living moderately, living like George Bailey, I think Christmas will seem more special because you've already made those sacrifices throughout the year. Um, so I'm, I'm reminded of like old-timey Christmas gifts of like fruitcake and oranges and cashews, like things that were like, oh yeah, that's just like a normal grocery store run. Maybe not the fruitcake, but oranges and cashews, you know? And now that's like, a, yeah, I mean, I feel like the the... Luxury and necessity have been blurred quite a bit. I think that's where, like, even if we're buying less and we're paying more for it, that might actually be better um, because we have a clear, clearer picture of what like is ne- what is necessary and what is actually a luxury and what 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 does our vocation not require? You know, I guess that might be a good definition of luxury. And then that's what like Christmas is for, right? So then Christmas, you know, gift giving becomes easier at Christmas, right? Because like, yeah, you deprived yourself of like these fancy things throughout the year. And like now is the time where you can like, all right, these are all the fancy things I haven't bought and haven't, you know, kind of deprived myself of or fasted from, if you want to call it that. And like, great, now that's your your Christmas gift. To me, that does make for a really rich Christmas season. If you're, if you're living that way, if you're living the George Bailey way, you know, um, where you're making sacrifices for your community. Yeah. There is the one time a year where his friends like, you know, kind of shower him with gifts and kind of get him out of his jam at the end because they care about him because he cared about them. And now there's this community of love that's like doing things. And, and there is a risk to that. Like certainly he, you know, it didn't have to end that way, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, it might, uh, might end that way if we kind of lean into that. I know we need to find a ballot, but I will. I have to say this: I appreciate Mary so much more now than I used to. She was awesome. Like, just think about what I just said. Think about your wife, and then watch that movie. And it's just like how much she did in that movie was incredible. Um, yeah, the true unsung hero. Like yeah, when she yeah, when they gave the people like the wine and bread and stuff, talking about your feasting when they bought the house, like what a moment! Final bell, final bell. All your strength, ding, 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 ding. All your power, all your love. Who loves you? Fifteen. One more round. There's no stopping us now. This is our round. No stopping now. We start. We don't stop. All your strength, all your power, all your love, everything you've got. This is your whole life. And we're back. Matt, what do we got for the final bell? 
Final bell. What is your favorite Christmas memory? I will give two answers. Short one. I feel like just so distinct of a thing as like a separation of like childhood and then like adulthood, especially with kids. But I kind of referenced it earlier. So this is more of a collective memory, which I think sometimes is how our brains work anyway. But so just growing up, I mean, every Christmas Eve, it was the same. We'd go to to the store. Dad was working. We'd go to the back and adults would have crown and seven or whatever else they wanted to drink and kids would have we make like kitty cocktails or something like that so we'd always just hang out and have drinks in the back of the store and then we'd go to mass um at church and i just feel like that just collective like i feel like if you said that and then we um the last year of the store a bunch of family that had like moved out of town and stuff came back and we kind of just did that pretty hard um i just feel like that was like there's a really good picture of all of us that it just I feel like it kind of embraces the family and then the church kind of, and I guess community at the same time. So maybe it wraps up all three. I remember last, it was two years ago, I think. So it wasn't eight or nine, Mike, don't worry. But so my son was five or six at the time. They were so excited for Santa and they like, they run to their beds and they literally went to bed so fast because they said, we have to fall asleep because like they wanted to go to sleep so like because they i don't know we maybe we told them they wouldn't santa wouldn't come if they weren't sleeping i don't know what we said so like right when they they like ran to their beds at when we got home from mass and all i did is i went outside and it was actually like a crisp cold night that kind of icy air there's snow on the ground so like there's the crunch as you step through so i went outside thomas's window with a bell and i just started ringing it and the next morning he was like dad I think I heard Santa's sleigh and he was just like, it was so fun to like, just do it in this kind of like cold, crispy, <laughs> snow, crunchy atmosphere. And then just the next morning, totally like, you know, just the, yeah, he to- he had heard that and I just made it special for him. So it was just kind of fun. You won't tell him how he gets down the roof. I didn't tell him anything. It could have been any bells. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been George Bailey. I don't know. It could have been anything. Yeah, I really just think of my favorite collect collected memories around a couple key traditions. One, just the Christmas Eve service at the Lutheran Church. Last song, cut all the lights to the place, light up candles, sing Silent Night, um, just the church packed. And then we'd always, basically for, yeah, our whole life got together with four or five families who didn't have many other extended families Christmases um, and did that. Great Still do that. Um, and then I think even just like, yeah, um, just even like the Christmas dinner that we make in our immediate family every Christmas night, I just, I know what my mom's going to make, you know, steak, green beans, dessert options and use our fancy china and um, yeah just that's a great great highlight in my favorite parts of Christmas yeah um, collective memories yeah that's a good good word for it because yeah there's there's stuff that sticks out in you know really sweet and heartwarming ways like our our fake Christmas tree growing up and the collection of ornaments that we uh, we made, handmade growing up. And 
the electric train car set underneath the tree and and uh like wrapping our dog sarah up in wrapping paper not like in an excessive way but you know something like that or putting a bow on her and um yeah in recent years mom and dad making a pork tenderloin now at our house um yeah and obviously all those things just string together into just uh sort of a sweet symphony of Christmas memories. Um, but something else that sort of stuck out to me as I was thinking here is some years we would just sit there sort of talking late into the night on Christmas night. The country station down here plays, you know, like a lot of stations, country music continuously for 24 hours or 48 hours. And I remember hearing the last song that year, Nat King Cole, the Christmas song. Obviously a great song. And then what it ended, and it just flipped over to secular stuff, and it felt like, whoa, that's the end of Christmas. Of course I know it's not, but still, it's, I don't know, just a bittersweet uh, sense of watching Christmas come and go that year. I would say a couple things. So, Ross, you, you mentioned you, you did the bell thing. Um, I remember, and I think especially because there is, so me and my, my uh, so I have an older sister who's a year older. I have a brother who's about a year younger. Um, so there are the three of us kind of right in a row, and my younger sister was five years younger than all of us. So all, obviously we were all of age to be questioning Christmas when she was kind of in the peak. So my parents... I think wanted to put a little extra emphasis on keeping the Christmas Santa thing alive for my younger sister. And my dad took soot from the fireplace and kind of like spread it out, um, like kind of a, a big chunk right immediately. And then he, he literally took his boots and like made footprints with soot from the leading from the fireplace to, kind of, you know, and they faded, you know, like he, like they calculated this whole thing. To make it look legit, so I, I remember that be that one that year I was like, whoa, you know, it, it just being like a like, like because you know you you hear you start hearing things when you're you know eight years old or so, and it's you know because yes, kids are figuring things out, but Matt was on Reddit reading these threads. <laughs> Santa's not real. It's conspiracy what? theory nonsense, Mike. Of course, Santa's real. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, I remember that being like a, a kind of a fun memory uh, just to to kind of, yeah, I guess I, I do think that that legitimately bought me another year or two of, of Santa belief. So there is that uh, growing up. Um, my mom always read The Night Before Christmas, just the, we had this particular like pop-up book that by the time we... Uh, and we did a good job of protecting it. I know some pop-up books with kids just get destroyed in like a matter of days. Um, we did do it. We tried to make it last as long as we could. But like I remember toward the end, it was just like half of the things were torn and didn't work. And, you know, just because we had played with it too much. Um, but I, I can distinctly remember the exact pop-up book that we would read from for the night before Christmas. And that was the last thing we did before we went to bed. I would say, I mean, it's still pretty early in terms of like, adult memories for my kids and you know Abe was a year old and you know not yeah cognizant of Christmas of, of any sort but um, 
there was one thing we did last year, and I know this kind of goes to like, you know, how do we push back against some of like the Christmas, you know, uh, Ross, you mentioned, you know, like, yep, day after Christmas, we're done, you know. Uh, Claire and I had like a little um, Christmas carol sing along thing at our house and invited just a few random people, like a few friends, like closer friends of ours. Um, I invited a couple coworkers, um, and yeah, just made homemade pretzels, um, had some homemade beer that I'd made and just other drinks and things. Um, and Claire's sister was in town and she's a, an excellent pianist. And, um, I think so, you know, one of her friends played the piano. So he jumped in a little bit and we just like sang Christmas carols for like a solid, like 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the evening was just banter and visiting, but but yeah, I just remember that being like, that's at least early on, like a really cool memory. Um, well, it's been a heck of a third season. Mm-hmm. And we'll, uh, we'll see y'all in January. Thanks for drinking. And thinking. And thinking. Thinking. <laughs> With us. With us. What if all three of you did and thinking? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We can Let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens. Thanks for drinking. And thinking. (laughs) With us. Be safe out there. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, okay. Thanks for drinking. And And thinking. With us. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you next season. Merry Christmas. Cue the music. And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from 1 to 92 Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas To you